Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, before we moved to Lincoln, we were at a church in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and there was a big base there called Fort Huachuca, Army Base, 12,000 soldiers. And many uh, soldiers would retire at Fort Huachuca because Sierra Vista was a nice place to live year-round. They had warm winters down there in Sierra Vista, Bob Houston. Um, but there was a man when I was down there. He was a World War II vet. His name was Jack. This is in the year 2002. And he loved the Army. He was career military. Uh, he only got out because he was forced by age to get out. And when I was making my transition, the church knew, and I was about two months from leaving to come to Lincoln. He calls me up and he says, he always called me sir because chaplains were officers. Sir, I've done some checking and you could still be a chaplain in the Air Force. You're too old for the Army, but you could still be a chaplain in the Air Force. What do you think? Well, Jack, I don't think so, but uh, I'll think about it. And then I talked to a guy who was a major in the church. He said, unless you really want to do crisis counseling, I wouldn't do it. And so I called him back. He was just devastated that I wasn't going to be joining the armed forces. Oh, why do I say that? He, he was in love with being in the army. And he couldn't imagine why anybody else wouldn't want to do it. And so he invited everybody, including me, to be a part of the armed forces. What's well, a little bit of a picture of somebody who loves something? For these last six weeks, we've talked about the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. We've based on this book by Mike Hendricks, uh, Basic Training for Walking with Jesus. And today we want to talk about, or I want to talk about, uh, what's a sign that we're passionate about Jesus? Jack was passionate about the U.S. Army. After what Jesus has done for us, uh, our only proper response is we'd be passionate for him. Well, well, what does that look like? And what's the symptom where we might think, yeah, yeah, I, th I think I'm on the right track. That is what I'm going to talk about today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to John 1, we're going to start in verse 29, and we're going to go through uh, verse, the end of the chapter, verse 51, and wrestle with this question, what's a sign that we're passionate about Christ? This is the start of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, there was a forerunner that God sent before Jesus. His name was John the Baptist. It had been 400 years since Israel had had a word from God. So God the Father, Son, Spirit thought, you know, it'd be good to get these kind of people kind of pumped, kind of primed. And so John the Baptist came and said, hey, you folks need to get ready. You need to be ready because Jesus is on the scene. And Jesus lived for 30 years uh, before he stepped out into his public ministry, and, and we're right in the beginning of that. And so we pick it up in verse 29. The next day he, now he is going to be John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lots of metaphor in that. Lamb of God. For hundreds and thousands of years, when Israel went into covenant, with God the Father, each year he would have them offer a, a lamb for the forgiveness of sin. A lamb was innocent by nature, and so somebody's innocent life would be taken to cover the guilt of our sin. So John is saying, this is the ultimate lamb who is going to take away the sin of the world. And what was 
true of Jesus that was not true of these lambs is uh, these lambs had to be offered every year, once a year. There was a continual sacrifice for sin. This would be the once and for all, done with sin forever sacrifice. How many of you have seasonal allergies? I mean, do I mean? Okay, we got some. So every time the spring comes around, you got to go through some kind of, you got to get to the doctor or you take Zyrtec or you take whatever you take. And, and you know, that, that does the trick for a while, but, and then, you know, winter comes and stuff goes, and you're good, but the season comes back around, what do you got to do? You got to go for treatment again. That's kind of how the, the sin cycle worked with the nation of Israel. We're doing away with that. This is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist is at all his followers, and he is pointing them to this guy, this Jesus, because he is the one that God sent. He goes on, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who is higher ranked than I, for he existed before me. It's a little fact. John the Baptist was born before Jesus. Probably about three months. But John the Baptist is saying this, Jesus, he existed before me. Whoa, 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 John, if, 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 he would, if he was born after you, why can you say that? Or why are you saying that? Because we understand him to be implying that Jesus is the eternally existent Son of God. So Jesus is eternally existent at his birth. He took on human flesh. So John can rightly say, this Jesus, you know he's born after me, he existed before me. Underscoring the fact that he's the Son of God. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist said, yeah, I was baptizing people in this God comes for baptism, and, and God the Father let me know, when you see the Spirit come down like a dove, you'll know it's Jesus. But when Jesus rolls into the river, John the Baptist doesn't recognize him until at baptism, here comes the dove, indicating the Spirit of God is resting upon Jesus. John the Baptist said, you know, God gave me a word, God the Father gave me a word of confirmation, who's his son, and Jesus is him. So this sets up, this is Jesus, an introduction the one, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. So, the next day, John was standing. John the Baptist was standing up to his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Fellas, I, I was a forerunner. This is the guy. You need to follow him. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed. And Jesus turned and saw them and said to them, What do you seek? Now, if ever there was anybody who said, you know what, you just need to get in line. I'm the son of God. I'm the creator. I'm eternally existent. If ever there's somebody who said, you know, you need to just get in line and follow me, that's how Jesus starts out. He said, what are you looking for? What's on your mind? What do you seek? And I, I think that's a great model for us as we interact with people. Let's get good at asking open-ended questions. What are you looking for? What do you like? Why do you like that? Give, we'll just give people a chance to tell their story. That's what Jesus said. What, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. And it's an invitation. I invite you to investigate me. Check me out. Come and see. Uh, Jesus was confident who he was. He knew who he was. 
He's the son of God. So I invite you to come and see. And again, I, I would say for us, we don't have to dump the load on. We just, hey, check this out. Read the Gospel of John. Come to church. Watch it. Read a book. Something. You, you tell me what you think. An invitation to come and see. So they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that night, for it was about the 10th hour. So verse 40, then we see one of those who heard John speak followed and followed him was who? It was Andrew. And again, we see Andrew doing the right thing, which is a lesson. Whenever we see Andrew, somebody named Andrew, we can assume they're in step with God because look what he does. Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew is sharing out of his experience. Hey, I've been following this guy. I've been looking at it, and he's, he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas. If I encourage you, as your neighbors and family and friends, in a non-threatening way, share your experience with Jesus. Don't have to comment on it. You're talking to just this is this is what I've experienced. This is what I found to be true. But you know, but that that asks a question. It begs a question: um, How current is your experience with Jesus? How current is your experience with Jesus? How how, how alive is it? Do you have something to share that God has been doing in your life? Now, lest we think um, this is the silver bullet, we just shared our experience, um, we'll see Philip do that and and it it not go so well. But before that, uh, we see Jesus meeting Philip in verse 43. He says, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Follow me. So Jesus is inviting people to a relationship. He's inviting people to come check it out. But understand the end product is Jesus wants us to follow him. Well, I'm going this way, and Jesus said, I want you to go this way. Well, I plan to go this way. Well, you need to change your plan. That's what Jesus said. I I want you to follow me. And, And that's a cultural barrier. That's something we don't fit with well, and that's why relationship is so important because ultimately what we're asking people to do is change who directs your life. See, the the Star Spangled Banner said we're the land of the free and nobody tells me what to do. And we're asking to change a cultural value to you run your life to know God does. And he said, follow me and I go. The year I lived in Russia, I was on the, in Siberia, I was on the 22nd uh, floor apartment. And right down below me was a grocery store. And of course, you needed stuff. And so I, I, uh, I didn't have much Russian. I, I had three, three words I could really work with. Eta, which is it. Da, which is yes. And yet, which is no. I remember going up to the counter, and it's behind the counter. And I don't know what I need. I need canned goods or something. So remember, all I got is eta, 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 eta. And is she going to the right place? Da, da, da. Nyet, 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 da, 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 And she gets it, and she brings it down to me. But now I want two. So I make two. And so then I'm ready to take my stuff, but no, 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 that's not the way it works. She, she points at my pocket. She needs money. So I get money. She says, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to go pay at the cash register, get a receipt, 
and then come back and give it to her. So she tells me the price, but what's the problem? I don't understand Russia. So can, can you write it down? So she writes me a receipt, and I go get my thing, and I come back, and I get my product. But that's just the first counter. That's the canned goods counter. Now I've got to go to the bread counter, and I've got to go through the Eta da net thing again. And then there's a meat counter, and then there's a fresh fruit counter, and then you've got to weigh it out, and each time you've got to get a... And I think... This is about the dumbest way to do a grocery store that I can imagine. <laughs> but we're missionaries, right? We're missionaries. And uh, you can't criticize the culture. And so the Russian students would say, well, well, what do you think? Oh, we love Russia. The people are so friendly, which is true. They really were. Man, you guys got great community together. Well, one night we're up late at night with a bunch of students. And these students have done exchanges to the States. And they're smart. Their English is good. They understand. So come on, tell us what you really think. Oh, man, we love Russia. Don't. Don't give us the missionary line. Tell us what you really think. Oh, man, we love the Russian people because we're not supposed to criticize. Okay. And we go back and forth. And finally, I thought, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to say, okay, uh, let me, I, I love Russia. Okay, I get it, Andy, you love Russia. But, but, okay, give me the but. But the way you guys do your grocery store, I think is nuts. And I explained the way that we do it in the States. You just put the thing in the cart and you go up there. And I said, it is so much more efficient and I will never forget this guy's answer. He said, Andy, efficiency is not the goal. Full employment is the goal. We have 100% employment. I thought, hey, I want full employment, but not at the cost of doing a grocery store that way. <laughs> that was a cultural value. And you can tell me and sell me all you want on full employment, but there ain't no way I'm going to do my grocery store that way. In the same way, they may have loved my efficiency. Why am I sharing that? Because what Jesus is calling us to is a cultural value change. As Americans, no one tells us what to do. I'm going where I want, and Jesus says, here's where we're going. I want you to follow me. Well, no, I don't plan that. Well, that's, I'm, I'm the Lord. And so this relationship, what we're calling people to, is a radical thing. And, and you're sharing your experience, and you're inviting people, and you're connecting people, and you're open, asking open-ended questions, what do you seek? That's all part of the process. Because what we're being called to is a radical departure from this individualistic culture that I do what I want, I create my own narrative, and don't you tell me I'm wrong. Well, Jesus can do that. He's going to say, follow me. So Philip, you know, he kind of follows Andrew's model. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus the son of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, he's sharing his experience. And it worked with Simon Peter. Look what Nathanael says. Can, you, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the, res the response of a cynic. That's the response of a skeptic. But that doesn't stop Philip. He gives him the invite. Come and see. Where have we heard that before? Jesus himself. We have a part, okay? We have a part to invite people, to build these relationships, to have the come and see. But then God has a part. We've got Philip, I'm sorry, Nathaniel the skeptic. So let's pick it up in verse seven, 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, of whom, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Before you were in my vision, uh, Nathaniel, I saw him. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Trust me, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus steps into his life, into Nathaniel the cynic's life, and does something that only Jesus can do. And you know, as we're inviting, and we're building, and we're asking open-ended questions, and we're giving the come and see, and we're sharing our experience, we understand that's our part. There is a part God that only God can do. He's given us a part we need to be faithful to, but God is going to do, has to do his part. And so we, we started asking, well, what's a sign that we're, we're passionate about Jesus? Well, like my friend who is career military, we're inviting people. Like he wanted me to be a chaplain. He loved the, we are so in love with Jesus that, that we're inviting people. Wouldn't we do that? So what's a sign that we're passionate about Christ? We invite others to consider Jesus. That's all we're doing. We invite him to consider Jesus. We're not strong arm. We're not pressuring him. Come and see. And then we're trusting that Christ will do his part. Now, maybe some of you are here, and you're a bit like Nathaniel. And honestly, you have doubts. You're a little skeptical. You're not sure. You know what? That's okay. We're glad you're here. Honestly, we're glad you're here. And you know what's more important? Jesus is not put off by your doubts. He wasn't put off by Nathaniel's doubts. Can any good come out of Nazareth? Really? You're going to rely on some old saying in light of the things Jesus has been doing to, to put Jesus off? Jesus wasn't put off by that. If you're in that boat, would you consider asking? Read, would you read verses 47 to 51 again of John 1 and say, hey, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm interested. Would you show yourself to me like you did with Nathaniel? Now, let me, let me ask you this, though. If Jesus shows himself to be true, will you follow him? Because a lot of times people don't have a, a, an intellectual problem. They've got a volitional problem. They don't want to give control of their life. So that's what I'm asking you as, as you wrestle with Christ. Do you have an intellectual problem or a volitional problem? If you have evidence, if Jesus shows himself, will you give up your freedom and follow Jesus? Again, many of you here are followers of Christ, and, and I encourage you to, to invite people to have that experience to come and see. And when we invite people, we're asking them to take a huge cultural step. My freshman year, summer of 78, I go to orientation at Texas A&M, and they got this thing called fish camp that you can go to to learn more about A&M, and I kind of got bullied into it by my friends. Okay, I'll go, and they put you on a bus, and you go out into central Texas. I mean, I got changed. They get the best people relationally there, and I got sold on A&M. But, but what's important of that, my counselor was a junior at A&M. They said, Andy, you need to come to my dad's church. And he was from Houston. I was from Houston. So we got back from fish camp. We had about 10 days. I had a weekend. So that Saturday night, I went to my religious service. And Sunday morning, I went to his dad's church. And there was, this is August of 1978, and I still remember the experience. So the presentation was different. There wasn't the ceremony and there wasn't that thing. But, I, but what, what I want to talk about is the content. And I still remember there were two things. Somebody walked to the front that Sunday and they gave a testimony. They talked about how Jesus was working in their life. I've been going to church all my life and that blew my mind. What are you talking about? 
that you would speak personally about God in your life was beyond me. Second thing, when the pastor got up there to speak, he left his Bible open and he kept referencing it. See, I came from a, a tradition where there'd be a lay person get up and read an Old Testament, New Testament reading. Uh, the religious official would get up and he would read the Bible, he would kiss the Bible, and he would put it away. He'd close it and he'd put it away, and it's now it's kind of let's talk. And this is more than 41 years ago, and I still remember being dumbfounded because this guy kept going back to it. People in our culture don't have a reference for your personal experience with God or for a personal God who works in their life and a God who speaks for the Word. Again, that's another cultural step. And that's why your relationship, your friendship, your come and see, your open-ended questions are critical in the process. Because across the line where I'm going to stop directing my life and I'm going to follow Jesus, that's a big step. That's, that's, that's way bigger than the, the grocery store efficiency, full employment thing. That, that, that's way beyond that. I just threw that out there to see if we get a frame of reference for what we're asking people to do. Your involvement, your inviting people, your connecting with other people matters. And we're calling them ultimately to be followers of Jesus. And this flows out of a passionate relationship with Christ. So back in the fall of 93, I was still single. I was going to turn 33 that November. And I had dated this young lady off and on. And I realized I'm going to be going overseas. And she was overseas. So I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to place a couple calls to see if I can get my foot back in the door. She was in Kazakhstan. Her name was Hope Hughes. And so I started calling Hope Hughes. And every time I call, she write me a letter. So I think, well, Maybe we're gonna, maybe I can get my foot back in the door. And then I got accepted and I found out I would be in Siberia and she would be in Kazakhstan. And, and so through the, the spring, the, the, the calls became more frequent and the letters. And finally, in April, over the phone, we decided we would start dating and she would be out that summer in Colorado and then in the fall we would go back. And so she, came, she flew into Denver, I picked her up, I stayed at a house, a friend's house, she had a house friend's, friend's house in Greeley. And for the next three days... Bless her heart. Hope went on the Let's Meet Andy's Friends tour. One day we were in Fort Collins. The next day we were in Boulder. But why? Man, I had a growing relationship with this young lady. I thought, I think I'm going to end up marrying her. And I had all these friends that had mentored me or couples who had been friends to me. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to introduce them to hope. That was a natural reaction. Of course you did. This woman who I did end up marrying, have been married to the last 25 years, I want her to meet the people that are important in my life because she's very important to me. Okay, if that's true with a girlfriend, how much more with a Savior? If Jesus matters and you've got friends, and you've got family, and you've got coworkers, in a non-threatening way, in an invitation, in an open-ended question, in a let-me-share-my-experience kind of way, would you invite others to consider Jesus? It's not the only sign, but it's certainly one sign that we're in love for Him. 
In a moment, we're going to sing just a little bit about this love, and we're going to sing once for all. The, the one, the only one who could die for us uh, did. And would we share of this one who died once for all with others because he matters that much to us? Let me pray, and then our worship team will come and close us. So, Lord, we are grateful that uh, uh, you are a personal God, and we can know you in a very personal way. Uh, thanks, Jesus, for the way you modeled meeting people, come and see, and open-ended questions, and even the disciples uh, sharing out of their experience. Would we be people that do that, that, that would, uh, our, this relationship would spill over? I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.